It's an era of change, of ideals and cultures constantly colliding. We need brave people who will find the way of hope in the chaos, who will elevate truth in their speech and activate reform in their lives. Lee Sloan welcomes you to this Brave Nation. Hello, Brave Nation. I wanted to get on here and talk to you because I have had quite the busy last couple of months and I wanted to just make this little episode letting you behind the curtain a little bit on things that I'm processing since I ran for Anchorage Assembly. After being a campaign manager three times before, I can say that being the candidate is maybe just as much work as being a campaign manager, but... It requires something emotionally and spiritually in an entirely different way that I never could have known had I not run. I know tons of people were frustrated about the fact that only one person from my side of the political fence actually got elected this time around. What I didn't know during the campaign that I found out just a little bit later was that over $150,000 was spent collectively through organizations that were aimed at defeating us, me, in our little little assembly race, our little local race. Apparently, their money and efforts were effective. But just knowing this helps me know that we made a huge impact, and I don't for a minute regret the investment that we made in our community. Every supporter I met and every person who thanked me for running to represent them, I kept close to my heart and in the forefront of my mind. It was their support that fueled me the entire way. During a time of loss, the biggest risk we can take is to let discouragement take hold. Much can be said about voting integrity and much can be argued about what went wrong and what needs to be fixed for the future. In our city, there are things that would need to be fixed. These conversations are being had, but it's not the topic of this podcast today. I just want to say this. You need to keep on voting if you voted. And if you didn't vote, please recommit yourself to voting and helping your community to do the same. 25% of people in my particular district voted. Only 25% of people should not be calling all the shots for all of us at a local level. All right, end of lecture on that. I wanna take this opportunity to process, process my feelings toward my detractors, to those that I mostly never saw face to face but those who were kind of slinking around the internet trying to discredit me, I want to address at least one topic that was brought up there. Knowing that anyone who runs for public office subjects themselves to public disgrace, it's probably the most intimidating thing about putting yourself out there. I will say that I had very little hate at the doors when I'd see people face to face. Even with those that I talked to that had a different political persuasion, sometimes it actually seemed like they wanted to be on my side, even if they felt that they couldn't. Some of these conversations were actually very productive and thoughtful. And although I did have a few conversations that surprised me, 
When, for example, I was asked about parents' rights in education, I simply said, yeah, I'm for parents' rights. And the person responded, well then, I am against you. I was really kind of surprised, um, but I wonder, you know, I, I kind of made me think, how far have we drifted as a society when parental rights over their own children become something that's so heated and controversial, sir, stirring up such strong feelings among people? Another thing I got asked about from my detractors was how I intended to enact the kingdom of God and government. Now, I know that on social media, this is not the place to get into this answer. So I wanted to do it here on the podcast. And I also realized that this question, you know, may have been coming from a less than sincere place of understanding. But, you know, I do realize that it is often confusing because the language that we use in the church realm doesn't always translate very well to the government realm. So I wanted to bring some clarity here today. Let me start by saying what is not meant when I talk about or anyone else talks about the kingdom of God as it relates to government. The kingdom of God is not a literal system of government. God is already on his throne. We don't need to establish a new government with him or any other person as king. Even the way that the kingdom of God was seen, let's say, in the Middle Ages is not the type of kingdom we understand that God was enacting from the beginning. When we refer to the kingdom of God, it's really a paradigm. It's a way of viewing the world and our place in it. It's a culture that we live by. It's not of this earth, but it works on this earth for the good of all, whether you say that you ascribe to its values or not. Everyone has a worldview. Now, some think that their worldview is superior just for the fact that it lacks any acknowledgement of God. They think that only worldview, the only worldviews that should be allowed to be explored when relating to government are worldviews that leave God out. And they call this separation of church and state. But history tells us a very different story of the impact of what I call kingdom mindset on the larger culture. Bringing a kingdom culture to bear is not about forcing everyone to get saved and to convert to Christianity. Although, of course, Christians like it when people do. Why wouldn't you want others around you to share the same eternal hope that you do? You'd be crazy or selfish to believe something and not want it for others. But a kingdom perspective in government is not about getting everybody saved or coercing them into a belief it's not even about controlling the way that people behave to conform to the Bible. The kingdom is all about freedom. Now, when Jesus came, he set many new ideas in motion. These ideas were radical for their time, and they have since shaped much of modern civilization. If you think that slavery would have ended in the U.S. or the U.K. without Christianity, you need to take a deeper look at history. The same could be said of women's rights, labor rights, and even the civil rights movement. They were all based in our growing understanding of what it means to even have rights because rights are endowed by our creator, that we were all created equal. Every time someone tries to disparage another person for carrying 
distinctly faith-based worldviews, I need to call foul. There is nothing unconstitutional about bringing faith-based worldviews into the square of public opinion. We have all kinds of words for phobias like Islamophobe, homophobe, and the like, right? We hear them every day. But what about the ever-growing hostility that we see from those who are trying to actively undermine Christians for simply thinking like Christians? I have to admit, I can't even think of a good word for it, what that word might be. But the fact that we don't have a word for it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. The fact that we don't have a word for it lets me know that we are largely blind to the persecutions that Christians suffer for the way that we believe. Now, I know it seems like we have no room to talk because for hundreds of years, Christianity has been the dominant religion in the world, and especially in the USA. And that historical dominance tends to create some resentment in people who believe that no dominant group should have the right to a voice in the public square today. Now, I believe that what has occurred in my lifetime is that Christianity is no longer the dominant worldview of our nation. And because the mention of religion and especially Christianity is no longer in vogue, people practice their beliefs in a way that they don't identify as religious, but it in fact acts in every other respect as a religion. I heard someone put it this way. We have religions like LGBTQism, COVIDism, environmentalism, secularism. Put an ism on it and you know exactly what it means. You know that there is an orthodoxy behind these belief systems. And if you violate that orthodoxy, you're shamed. We're often shamed in our society for not immediately agreeing, affirming, and acting upon these orthodoxies that have been pushed. If the Christian worldview has taught me anything, it's a respect and reverence for all individuals, regardless of what they do or how misguided they may be. My Bible has taught me that they are made in the image of God and worthy of inherent dignity and even love. I do not reject people outright as unworthy to be loved, but I do reject ideas that don't align with my worldview. We all do. And if we don't admit that we're, we do, we're just not being honest. What I see happening today is an ever-increasing shaming of people and an intolerance of anything that violates the religion of the various versions of secularism that have now replaced Christianity as a dominant and sanctioned worldview of our era. It's the only worldview that is acceptable within public schools and has been for years. Why are we surprised that it's so dominant today? However, people still want to point to Christianity as being the big bully of our day. All the while, we have a new thought bully on the scene. If you are a Christian and listening to this, there are people who would never admit it, but they are hostile to you because of your faith. They fail to acknowledge the positive impact of freedom and prosperity 
that Christianity has brought to our civilization over the centuries. Sure, there have been evils that have also masqueraded as Christianity over this time period. But what we have gained as a result of Christian worldview and influence is incomparable to anything that we may have lost when people were did it in the name of Christianity. One thing I will never do is apologize for operating from a Christian worldview. My worldview asserts that you are free to have your own worldview and that it is not the role of a human government to force you into one narrow view of the world. That is the beauty of it. Even though you may want to restrict my right to believe or speak differently, I don't want to restrict yours. I am strong in my faith, but my faith dictates just as strongly that I don't force my religion upon anyone. That's where what was intended when it was written, separation of church and state, is all about. The role of government is to protect individual freedoms while making sure that those freedoms don't encroach upon the freedoms of others. That's it. The kingdom mindset is all about freedom, not control. About love and dignity, not shame. Have self-proclaimed Christians gone against and continue to violate those principles every day? Absolutely, they have and they will. That's why I make the distinction in my language when I refer to a kingdom culture, not just a Christian one. Some Christians do not embody what I see as a kingdom culture. But that's not at all where I'm headed. I hope you'll stay with me on this journey, even if you don't understand it, but are merely intrigued with it. This month, I will be taking some needed time out for rest and refreshment, but I look forward to plans for the near future. I made a promise to both my followers and my opponents that I'd stay engaged in my community that I continue having brave conversations, and I intend to do just that. This is only the beginning, friends and frenemies. (laughs) Let's hang in there and continue to change the world, one brave conversation at a time. 